This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Coming up on Stu Does America, Catherine Price joins us to share the joys of spending some time away from your phone. I'll let you know if the nearly aborted baby from the Roe versus Wade case is pro-life or pro-choice. They grow up eventually, so she's now an adult. And the left continues to escalate their attacks on anyone who fails to fall in line, even those within their own party. Let's get to the root of all of the hatred as we do the left's assault tactics. Stu does America. Ah, there's so much for all of us to get angry at. Did you know it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month? Now, I, uh, myself, have been aware of both breasts and cancer for quite some time, but some people might not be, and that's why we have this wonderful Breast Cancer Awareness Month. But I get angry every year at Breast Cancer Awareness Month because I don't like watching NFL games with pink shoes. I know it's a weird thing. You know, I can. is there any other way... We can raise money other than watching NFL games with pink shoes and pink shirts and pink little towels. I mean, I just don't like it. There's lots of things to get angry at. But can you imagine getting angry at the United States of America for not spending enough money? Can you imagine this? Right now, we are over $28.8 trillion in debt. Right now, it's hard to put a number like that into perspective. As the size of the economy grows, maybe you think, well, it's inflation and we're, the economy's growing, $28.8 trillion, maybe it's not that bad. Let me give you a little recent perspective on that number. In 1980, our debt to GDP ratio was 34%. In 2000, it was all the way up to 56%. Today, 125.93%. That is bunkers. The left is getting pissed off about that. Not because they think the number's too high. They think it's too low. They want to spend another $4.5 trillion. How is this happening? And they are angry we're not spending another $4.5 trillion. They are so pissed off about it that they are now following senators into bathrooms and harassing them while they go potty. We need a Build Back Better plan right now. We, we knocked on door We need solutions. The Build Back Better plan need has the solutions that we need. We knocked on doors for you to get you elected. And just how we got you elected, we can get you out of office if you don't support what you promised us. We need 7 million citizenship for 7 million. We need the Bell Back Better Plan right now. My name is Blanca. I was brought here to the United States when I was three years old. And in 2010, my grandparents both got deported because of SB 1070. We need to hold you accountable to what you told us, what you promised us that you were going to pass when we knocked on doors for you. It's not right. I'm a survivor, I'm a survivor, 
And it's because of the lack of worker protections that we don't have in the gig economy. I need you to stand by workers, lots of people who are like me. Literally walked inside the bathroom while she was going to the bathroom. Senator Cinema released a statement about the incident yesterday, quote, Yesterday, several individuals disrupted my class at Arizona State University. After deceptively entering a locked, secure building, these individuals filmed and publicly posted videos of my students without their permission, including footage taken of both my students and I using the restroom. Yesterday's behavior was not legitimate protest. It is unacceptable for activist organizations to instruct their members to jeopardize themselves by engaging in unlawful activities such as gaining entry to closed university buildings, disrupting learning environments, and filming students in a restroom. In the 19 years I've been teaching at ASU, I've been committed to creating a safe and intellectually challenging environment for my students. Yesterday, that environment was breached. My students were unfairly and unlawfully victimized. This is wholly inappropriate. Yeah, I don't know. I know we've had some disagreements lately on who's allowed in bathrooms, but I just kind of thought you didn't have people putting cameras on in bathrooms, and particularly when men were walking into the bathroom as well. But it's not just the bathroom. Kirsten Cinema also was harassed at the airport. And that was after she got off her flight. While she was on her flight, look what else happened. Senator, hello, how are you? Sorry, I'm just, I'm Katina. I don't know if you remember me. I just want to know if um, you can commit, as, as my senator, if you can commit to passing a reconciliation that could provide a pathway to citizenship for immigrants. We have been waiting for this for too long. I just need to know if you can commit to passing a budget reconciliation that would include immigration and citizenship for people to be protected, like me and many others. Can you commit to that, Senator? Ugh. I, I mean, I'm not even a Kirsten Cinema fan, per se, but I don't know. The activists in our society could be the most annoying people on, on the planet. Uh, that's just a generalized statement. This whole thing where you put yourself on YouTube with this big confrontation where you say something and they don't even look at you. I don't know why we get impressed by that, but apparently we do. And I love how these people think this makes them look good. Like, they're the ones releasing this. This isn't someone from the, the background saying, like, look at this. These people are following Kirsten Cinema into the bathroom. They're filming themselves. They're proud of it. President Biden was asked about all of these incidents. Here's how he responded. I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. Oh. From the, <laughs> the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Mm. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's part of the process. Is it part of the process? Did anyone ever follow you when you were a senator, uh, Mr. Biden, into the bathroom while you were tinkling? Did they, did they give you tinkle cam too? 
I don't remember Tinkle Cam ever happening with Joe Biden. Thankfully, it's possible I just erased it from my memory. It doesn't sound like a good video, but I just don't think this is part of the process. A woman being followed by a man and others with cameras and harassing them in the bathroom is not part of the process. The left is consistent, however, I will say, with men being in the women's bathroom. They do seem to like it, and they've stuck to that position, and I guess we can give them that point. Of course, this isn't a one-off situation. This is a long-term plan of action. If you disagree with someone on the left, you get harassed. That is the way this works. Over and over and over again, they will harass you. They will harass your family. They will try to get you fired. They will attempt to ruin your life. They will try to ruin everything about you and around you because that's what they do every single time over and over and over and over again. You might remember this little classic from Maxine Waters. You have members of your cabinet uh, that have been booed out of restaurants. Who have protesters taking up at their house. Who sang, no peace, no sleep. No peace, no sleep. Let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, uh, Siri, can you never play that audio again? That is, that, that's a collection of some of the worst sounds I've ever heard in my life. This constant ugliness and viciousness, this behavior from the left is a feature. It's not a bug. We are here on Breast Cancer Awareness Month now. Casey DeSantis, Ron's wife, revealed that she has breast cancer. Well, guess what happened with that announcement on social media? Some just laughed at her. Some celebrated. And there was a lot of this kind of thing. Gonna be really hard to offer thoughts and prayers to Casey DeSantis, wife of a man who botched a pandemic that led to the deaths of 55,000 plus Viridians. What kind of monster do you have to be to think this way? Obviously, some of this happens on both sides, and it's wrong every time it happens. It doesn't matter who's doing it. It's wrong. You're inhuman. We've talked about this with the vaccines over and over again. You're kind of a bad person if you're hoping for someone who's vaccinated to get sick so you can prove your point about vaccines. And you're kind of a bad person if someone who is unvaccinated, you're hoping they get sick so you can prove your point about vaccines. You're a bad person if you're doing that sort of thing. Part of this, of course, is just endemic to social media. The good thing is you don't have to be on social media. Did you know this? It's true. Now, of course, I appreciate if you happen to be watching this program here. This is just the uplifting part of your day. I know, but you don't have to do that. We saw yesterday a lot of people found out. Wait a minute. It isn't a legal requirement that I need to be on Instagram 24 hours a day. We're going to talk about uh, that and the Facebook whistleblower and all of the poison that social media puts into our discourse with author Catherine Price coming up next. So you got to do something online, right? What about your email? You got to answer your emails. Well, maybe at least you could have one of those free email services like Gmail or Yahoo. That's nice. You're saving some cash, right? Are you? Because, you know, you pay with your privacy. 
big internet companies uh, that we've been talking about over the past months and months and months bank on exploiting your data by selling it to the highest bidder. Your business plan, I mean, Google has it. Your medical records, Yahoo can sell that to the drug companies. These, these, these big internet companies are using your data all the time. When you delete an email in start mail, it's gone forever. They don't have access to it. Nobody has access to it because you decided to delete it and it's up to you. Switching to start mail is easy. It's seamless. You can easily transfer your current email data so there's no starting from scratch. And your cybersecurity has, of course, never been more at risk. Email snoops and sca uh, scammers are taking advantage of the pandemic and phishing has skyrocketed in the past year or so. Take control of your privacy with start mail before it's too late. You know, think about all the important things you send through your email. Shouldn't that be protected? Shouldn't you protect it with Startmail? Sign up today and you'll get 50% off your first year. Go to startmail.com slash stew, S-T-A-R-T, mail.com slash stew for 50% off your first year. It's startmail.com slash stew. I'm so happy to bring Katherine Price back onto the program. She's a science journalist and author of the upcoming book, The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive Again, which you can pick up on December 21st. Make sure to pre-order your copy today. Katherine, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? It's been a while. It's been a while. Thanks so much for coming back and doing this. I, I thought of you yesterday because I saw something happen that was repeated you know, by dozens of people that I knew or followed on some sort of social media, which was, oh, I feel, it feels so great that Instagram and Facebook went down. I'm so glad they were down for a while. It let me do other things. And I thought to myself, isn't this a scenario you could actually create on your own? <laughs> it is in fact a scenario you can create on your own. We all have the opportunity to take a break from social media when we want to. I mean, I know some people use it for business purposes, but it's it's within our control to step away more often than we actually do. Yeah, it's interesting that like it really, I think, hit people as a relief, as if, you know, I mean, certainly, you know, we, you know, the show airs on social media. Lots of people use it for, for business reasons. But, you know, I think a lot of people just go on there to pass the time to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. And like it becomes almost like a part of your job. It feels as if it's a requirement for you to do to knock out these messages, to see all the new posts. And, you know, it's I don't feel like we ever had a conversation to, to say like, hey, this is something we should do with six hours of our day every day. Yes, I think you and I have spoken before about just that, how it is kind of crazy how um, these devices and in particular social media apps have crept into our lives so quickly and so thoroughly that they're just a part of our existence without us ever having asked ourselves what role we want them to play. And I think it's gone beyond just a kind of a job. I think many of us are developing what experts are increasingly referring to as a behavioral addiction to some of these apps. And I think that yesterday was a really interesting opportunity for people to reflect on that. Because if you found yourself trying to open Facebook or Instagram <laughs> repeatedly and then getting repeatedly confused because it just didn't work, that's an interesting sign that something's not quite right in your brain, right? Because you knew cognitively it wasn't going to work, but you kept doing it anyway because your thumb just kept ending up on that spot on your phone. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. It just calls you. It calls you and calls you and calls you, and that's not healthy. Can you kind of take us through, I know you went through some of this book and how to break, uh, how to the, some of this research and how to break up with your phone, but what, what does science actually say about this? Because I, you know, I'm sort of a person who, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big fan of social media. And I think, you know, I kind of have this curmudgeonly uh, put down the phone sort of instinct, which is, you know, makes me feel like I'm 85 years old. But the science really does show that this creates uh, addiction and it also creates problems, particularly in, uh, among young people. Does it not? It definitely does. I also feel like I was born 85 years old, so I'm with you on okay. that. But science increasingly is showing that any of the intuitive concerns you may have about the effect that some of these platforms is having on us is actually borne out um, with research. So it's obviously constantly being on call to our devices is having huge impacts on our productivity and our focus. It's also impacting our relationships in the sense that if you're not fully present with someone, then you're not actually connecting with them. You can't be two places mentally at once, though we always try to do so. And there, I mean, just the past week and in the congressional hearings uh, with the whistleblower testimony, we've learned that Facebook in particular is well aware of some of the negative impacts that its platform and some of the companies that it owns, such as Instagram, some of the negative impact that has on teen girls in particular in terms of encouraging body image and eating, even encouraging suicidal ideation. So anyone who's kind of been trying not to pay too much attention to this or brush it off is not a big deal, I think is going to have to come to terms with the fact that actually it is quite a big deal. It's having a huge impact on us and it is well worth our while to have a conversation as a society and as individuals about how we want to interact with these platforms and what role we want them to play in our lives. Yeah, I think it hits parents sort of hardest because you see, you know, your kid interacting with you and wanting to do all these things. And if you let them get down these roads of social media, they, of course, have no seemingly no power to stop themselves. And you kind of lose them, I think. I think a lot of parents feel like they lose their kids in these things. Um, you know, is it uh, supported that? Um, you know, we see some of this with the internal Facebook research, which was kind of the big blockbuster that came out of these hearings in the whistleblower. But like, is this something that we should just be like, look, your kid does not go on social media until they're an adult. That's kind of what I think. No dating till 30, no social media till 30. Is that a sensible policy? <laughs> So 45, you will not go out on a date. Um, well, I, think that, I know that's exactly what was said during the testimony today on the behalf of the whistleblower. She was actually suggesting that that kids not be allowed on social media until they're 17. And of course, all sort of kids are on social media and they're lying about their age and Facebook knows that. Um, but I think, you know, it's very similar to cars, really. We know cars are dangerous. Most people end up driving cars at some point, but there's protections in place. You would not allow your kid to get into a car and just go speeding up down the highway without a seatbelt and without any kind of coaching or guidance. And I think we should have a similar attitude towards social media. Um, and I think that we do need to be aware that these platforms are deliberately designed by very smart people to hijack our attention and to actually use the same techniques as those used by slot machine makers to induce little hits of dopamine every time we interact with their products. And dopamine is a brain chemical that tells us when something is worth repeating. And so anytime you do something that gives you a hit of dopamine, you'll be compelled to do it again and again. But our dopamine systems are not good at telling what's actually worth repeating. And that's the basis of all of our habits, but also our addictions. And it's particularly problematic for kids whose brains are still developing and whose abilities to self-regulate are not fully developed. So that's why I think we should be particularly concerned about the impact that social media is having on kids in their preteen, tween, and teen years. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was listening to one clip from the testimony today, and the whistleblower was talking about how the company was basically ruled by these metrics, these performance metrics and algorithms that, you know, they they're not going to point you to moral good. Like they might, sh they, they're going to point you to getting people on Facebook as long as possible, doing something that helps, you know, show them more ads and spend more of their time there, suck out more of their attention. And, you know, her point was like, 
they act as if this isn't a decision because it's just a metric telling us what we should do next. But building your company that way is a decision. Yeah, I think that's exactly how she phrased it. It is a decision. They're choosing to prioritize users. Note that they call us users, guys. I mean, yeah. that's very telling. We're not customers. We are users. Right. Product. All right. And what they're doing is mining our attention and collecting data about our interests and our behaviors way more than most of us have any concept of. And they're using that to serve us up increasingly targeted ads and you might be and content. And unfortunately, the content that is the most likely to get us to quote, engage with it, to like it or share it or comment on it is the content that's the most emotionally charged. It's the stuff that makes us outraged or scared. And that accounts for a lot of the problems we're seeing now with the breakdown of civil discourse. So unfortunately, the business motives and the algorithms that support those businesses are not aligned with how most of us want to live our lives. And I think that's the fundamental problem and that that is what needs to be changed. But clearly, the companies are not going to do it on their own because their business model currently depends on it. Yeah, there's a, a, a column recently, I think it was Ross Douthat, who wrote about uh, Instagram and social media, the, the big ones, and recommended that we just straight out ban them for people who are under, I think it was 17 years old or 18 years old, and, and say that, look, you know, we do this for alcohol, we do this for driving, as you point out. Uh, this is something that we realize has really bad effects, has, you know, limited upsides for some people, but generally speaking, bad effects. And maybe we should just say, no, this is this has got to stop for everybody who's under 18. We realize some people will slide in, but let's just deal with that later on. I mean, I think in theory, that's a tempting solution. I'd certainly, I have a six-year-old daughter. I would love that to be a solution. <laughs> I mean, in reality, I don't think it's very practical because if you think about the difference between alcohol and the social media app, most kids can't go into a liquor store and just sidle up to the counter and buy a you know thing of scotch. But many kids have their own phones and they can easily figure out ways to circumvent systems and get access to the apps. I think maybe, I mean, for me personally, one of the bigger sources of hope is that eventually kids are going to recognize these products are lame. You're wasting your time on them. I mean, Facebook's already thought of as something for old people. No offense to anyone over 40 here, but totally old people territory. And I think that we have the, they're running the risk of Instagram having the same issue. And one thing you haven't brought up, but I think was really fascinating about the, the testimony and the whistleblower's documents that she produced is the efforts that Facebook is making to specifically target children. And it reads like big tobacco's attempt to target teenagers. I mean, it, it actually, there's a presentation from 2019 that has a title that's something like how to leverage playdates as growth opportunities. And you see the slide <laughs> complaining or pointing out that on most playdates, kids are not actually interacting with Facebook Messenger because for some reason they're interacting with each other. So I think there's a, hopefully there's actually an article by Kevin Roos I found very interesting where he posits that perhaps there's a sense of desperation at Facebook that they're actually declining in a certain, to a certain degree. And they're trying to find new audiences because they need them. So my personal hope is that we all wake up to the fact that this is a waste of our precious time on Earth. And we should stop spending so much time on social media because it doesn't matter. Oh, that's great. It sounds like it's something that document sounds like it's right out of Thank You for Smoking, the Christopher Buckley book, uh, exactly. <laughs> which is incredible. That's that's supposed to be fiction. Um, so uh, I think that's an, what you bring up there is an interesting point. And I find myself uh, often thinking about it which is I convince myself that I'm on social media because of work. And, and look, I have to put this stuff out there and people, and I know you, you reach people on social media as well. 
um, because you want to have people informed about what you're doing and, and there's no point in doing it if no one ever reads it. But like, I, I am increasingly uh, amazed by even people who are really successful at social media, who, are, who post some amazing tweet and it gets you know, 20,000 uh, retweets and all of the, like, the best possible success story you can have for some random comment. And it's just so fleeting and empty. It's like at the end of it, no one remembers who that person is the next day. No one, it, nothing happens. It's just like a, it's an empty road. You get this moment of excitement and then it's just a giant zilch. Yeah, and I think that that really speaks to the dopamine effect there. If you if you find yourself consistently engaging with something that you're drawn to compulsively but feel gross about afterwards, there's probably some degree of the slot machine dopamine issue going on. And I think we all feel this compulsion. We do feel this compulsion. And again, some people might say behavioral addiction to keep checking and keep posting. But just as you're saying, the satisfaction that that brings is ultimately meaningless and extremely fleeting. And I think that instead we should take a step back and attempt to prioritize things that truly do bring us meaning and connection, um, which is why I got interested in fun. It's a separate conversation, but it's not through social media. You know, and I, I mean, I personally, I hate using social media. I'm only on it because uh, my book agent has told me I have to be. <laughs> so, but I will say, I actually started, if it's useful to any of your viewers, I, I was thinking, how can I stay true to my beliefs and be on social media? And one solution I came up with was to run these intervention feeds. Um, if you search for screen life balance, you can find them. And they're posts that say things like, do you really want to be on Instagram right now? Or Instagram's not real life. And it's automated. So I don't have to touch it. I'm not wasting my time on it. And the feedback I've gotten has been really cool because my goal is to reach people in the moments when they need it the most. And I hear from people saying like, wow, that really caught me and like broke that spiral, broke me out of that trance, because that's what they're designed to do is to pull us into a trance so that we lose sight of what we actually care about. And that is very much what the algorithms are designed to do as well. And, and that's a very interesting conversation. There is an interesting conversation to be had about who ultimately is control if you start to think about how many of your daily decisions are in fact influenced by an algorithm that someone else programmed. Mm, it really is fascinating. I know you've done a really a lot of really great work in this field with screen life balance, how to break up your phone, uh, how to break up with your phone. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's interesting because we talked a little bit about potential regulation and maybe just the idea that people will eventually decide they don't want to do this stuff anymore. Is it, you know, I, I just, you know, inherently as a, you know, I'm a political conservative. I don't like government intervention on pretty much anything. I would like it to be something where we make these decisions because it's the best way for us to go. But increasingly, you get that sense. I think a lot of people on both sides of the aisle get this sense of this is just it's, a, it's an enemy that can't be defeated. It's just this thing that sucked us all in and it's never going to go away unless we do something drastic. Is there enough to do when it, when it comes to, you know, I know you've done seminars on this and you've written books on it. Is there enough to kind of be able to suss out from the average person when it comes to just their pure will to get off of these things? I think that it's not a great idea to rely on willpower alone because, again, these things are designed to hook us and addict us. And they're being created by very powerful companies. I mean, Facebook's worth almost a trillion dollars, right, with a T. Mm. And we have to think about where that value is coming from. And it's coming from our attention. And it's coming from our children's attention. And it's coming from our children's mental health and our mental health. There's a cost that is being paid that we are not seeing in the form of dollars ourselves. Uh, I also am not a fan of, like, over or really involved government or too much regulation. But I also think there comes a point where you – You've given a company like Facebook numerous chances to change directions, numerous chances to self-correct. And every single time they're giving that opportunity, they appear before Congress and give some kind of vacuous statement 
and defense and then don't actually change anything. So I don't think that I have a perfect solution to any of this, but I do think we need to be investigating and be open to all options. And I think it's very telling that right now there is actual bipartisan support across members of Congress to actually work on regulation about this, even you know from conservatives and liberals alike. I think that really says something. And that it's an opportunity actually for all of us to join together and say, this is not okay. There's some things that could be good about social media if it actually connected us in the way that they claim to. But in reality, what it's doing is dividing us and making us miserable. (laughs) And that's not okay. So I think we need a multi-pronged approach where some of it is changes we can make personally, which is what I really try to help people with through Screen Life Balance. But some of it is in terms of policy and legislation that needs to come from a more top-down approach. So I think the bottom line is something needs to change. And hopefully the attention that's being paid this week to Facebook in particular will spark some of that change to finally occur. Uh, before you go, Catherine, you, you have identified another thing here, which is really interesting, because I think when you talk about addiction, right, if someone's addicted to something, usually the advice is you can't just stop it. You need to replace it with something else you enjoy. And you've identified something that I think a lot of people want in their lives, but also feel bad about exploring, which is the idea of just having fun. How do you, how do you, you've, you've come up with a way to basically try to quantify this. This is coming up in your, in your, uh, in your new book. Can you kind of walk us through the concept here? Yeah. Well, when I broke up with my phone, I should clarify that means just creating a healthier relationship with it, not dumping it entirely. But when I did that, I ended up with a lot more free time and I needed to figure out what I wanted to do with that time. And I went through a whole process of self-reflection, asking myself, what are some things I always say I want to do, but never have supposedly never have time for. And I realized, guess what? We actually have a lot of time. We're just using it on Instagram and on our devices right now. In my case, it was email. So I ended up going down this journey of figuring out what I actually wanted to spend my time and attention on. And my conclusion was that I wanted to do things that brought me the experience of fun. And so I ended up writing a new book about it, which I'd love to talk to you about in more depth. But the basic idea is that we focus a lot, I mean, in terms of the social media stuff that we're talking about, is that we're focusing a lot on self-control and willpower when it comes to changing the way we interact with these apps. That we're missing the much easier approach, that is if we were doing things we enjoyed more, we'd have no desire to go over to Instagram or Facebook because we would have better things to do with our time. And so this new book is an exploration of, well, how do you figure out what those things are? And then how do you create space in your life and a, and a structure that allows you to engage in more of them. And it's been really life-changing for me. And I'd say for right now, for anyone out there listening, for yourselves or for your kids, in addition to making some changes to you, your how you interact with your phone, maybe getting social media apps off your phone. I mean, if you were an alcoholic, you shouldn't keep beer in your refrigerator. You should not keep social media on your phone. But in addition to that, start thinking about some things that actually do bring you true pleasure and true joy and true a true sense of connection and engagement and start to prioritize those things and notice how that begins to affect how much time you're spending on social media, which I would suspect would result in you beginning to lower that time as you increase the time you spend on things that you care about. Well, I will say with the last uh, 18 months or so, we definitely need more fun in our lives. And uh, I can't wait for this book. It comes out in December. Catherine Price, she's a science journalist, author of the upcoming book, The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive. Again, you can pre-order your copy now. It comes out on December 21st. And I'd love to definitely have you back on, Catherine, when it does. I would love to be here. Thanks, as always, for having me. Thank you.
So uh, you're going through the day and you might want to, you're a little hungry. You could go to, you know, Taco Bell, which you know, I've never done before. I don't do those sorts of things, but some people do. Uh, you might go to you know, get a bowl of ice cream or grab a quick candy bar or something. Usually those decisions are not good decisions. However, you can replace it like we're replacing uh, social media with fun. We can replace candy bars with built bars. Built bars are here because though they taste like candy bars, coconut, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream, all sorts of flavors. But here's the thing, 18 grams of protein, 180 calories or less, four to five grams of sugar, four to five net carbs. You wouldn't know it by tasting them because uh, they taste amazing, but they actually are good for you as well. And now you can get uh, all sorts of uh, uh, great deals at Built.com. Built.com. The promo code is STU15. 15% off your first order now. The promo code is STU15 for 15% off at Built.com. It's Built.com. Okay, so to review here, Roe versus Wade back in the 70s goes on. Case goes on eventually gets kicked up to the Supreme Court where they overrule the lower courts and say, uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, we found this magical right for abortion in the Constitution. Yay, we had a magnifying glass and we looked really hard. And in that time process, the baby that was supposedly going to be aborted initially wound up being born. Yeah, this happens uh, sometimes. So the baby's born, gets adopted uh, out, and 19 years go by and this woman uh, gets approached by the National Enquirer who say, hey, did you know you're actually the Roe baby? That's you. Now, this, of course, freaks her out. She has lots of issues with this. She sees her mom running around the country, first saying pro-choice, 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 then reversing herself to pro-life, pro-life, pro-life. I guess reversing herself maybe at the end of her life. It's hard to know exactly. Uh, she was not a fan of her mom. That much we know from the interview that aired on ABC News. Now, the Roe baby... Again, they don't stay babies forever. It's important that you know, you can know that from the baby of the year competition, but they don't stay babies forever. And once they grow up, they start having opinions. Now, I said this to you yesterday. I said, if she was pro-life, there's no way they'd be putting her on television right now. And I think that prediction was kind of right, but I'm not exactly sure she's pro-choice either. Let me show you this clip where they try to pin her down on her opinion about abortion today. Do you have an opinion about whether women should be allowed to have abortions? I do. It's an opinion that I keep pretty close to my chest just because I don't want either side or both sides coming at me. I'm not going to let either side use me. And, you know, when I first heard it, I kind of got the sense that she was saying, uh, you know, are you pro-choice? I, I, she says, I do. And I, I kind of seemed like it was an affirmative answer at first. But really, I think she's just saying, I have an opinion on the matter, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want to be used uh, by either side. And I, I can kind of respect that, frankly. You know, I mean, I obviously, you know, I'm a pro-life person myself and always like to see people arguing the pro-life position. On the other hand, can you imagine what her life would be like if she came out and talked about this? I don't know why she's doing the interview if she's not going to give that part of her story. But it's a, I mean, her life would probably be hell either way, frankly. <laughs> if she said she was pro-life, she'd be yelled at constantly about being uh, pro-choice. If she said she was pro-choice, she'd probably get yelled at that she should be pro-life. Uh, the whole thing is probably very complicated in her life. So anyway, that was the clip. She also had an... They really tried to suss this out from her. They were like, well... 
Why don't you really tell us what you think? This is her when they asked her about a, a necklace she was wearing. People watching are going to say, oh, she has a cross on. That must be a message that, you know, it's her religious beliefs that she's trying to uh, convey without answering the question. No. So this this cross is my sister cross. Um, Jennifer and I have matching necklaces so that we always have each other close. I would say... I, don't, def, I wouldn't say defensive. I would say per, she was protectionist with her life and her opinions. And honestly, I have no problem with that stance. I just don't know why you'd do the interview if you weren't going to let people in uh, at all on a lot of this stuff. She didn't really say an awful lot. But, hey, you know, I, I can understand that. I, it, is a, uh, it is a little revealing from the media, though, to say, oh, you're wearing a cross. Basically, you're wearing a cross. That must mean you're religious, which must mean you're pro-life, Right. Now, when we talk about this all the time, we hear people like Nancy Pelosi say the opposite, that actually the most pro-life, pro-choice position is, is a religious position. Um, it's funny that when, when, it's, uh, when you need to really use that information, I think they realize which side of that equation there are. They're obviously pro-choice religious people, but uh, it does, does seem like that's what they were hinting at there. I don't know that we got too far into it. Um, but we can, uh, if, if any more comes up, I, I, it is a fascinating story. It's the type of story that would probably make a good movie. We just need to know more about what actually happened in the story before we can make that judgment. So if you're going to be on social media, you better make your content good. Right. Take some time with it. Making content is an essential part, of course, what we do here. Um, but it's not easy to, to go through that process. Canva Pro, though, makes it easy. You can design anything like a pro on any device. Canva Pro is a design platform that empowers you to create and share stunning content in just a few clicks. Designing with Canva Pro is amazingly fast and fun. Uh, you can choose from thousands of templates and you can customize them. So I mean, look, it looks like you know what you're doing. And they make it easy so you know what you're doing. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, that person really has a handle on, on their marketing plan. Yeah, it's just Canva Pro. I mean, they know, they have, they've got a handle on it. You have uh, endless premium fonts, photos, videos, so much more that add personality and edge to whatever you're designing. Uh, you can, we can work together on teams on this. You can help stay organized. You can stay on the same page. No more misplaced files. All the things that probably hamper you if you're doing this sort of thing. And you and now four teammates can unlock everything Canva Pro has to offer for just $12.99 a month. $12.99 a month. With Canva Pro's content planner, you'll save time planning, creating, and posting social media content as well. You can pause schedule posts and edit them at any time. Design like a pro with Canva Pro. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you use my promo code. Just go to canva.me slash America. Get your free 45-day extended trial. I will spell this for you because I know spelling can be hard. C-A-N-V-A dot M-E slash America. I'm not going to spell the word America for you. You have to figure that out on your own. Canva.me slash America. In a little bit of a reversal of the Lego movie, everything is not awesome. Everything is awful. And that's kind of how the people uh, in America now see both political parties. Uh, the Republican Party is now viewed 56% negatively and the Democratic Party is now viewed 55% negatively. Now, what's interesting about those numbers is it's actually an improvement for the Republicans. 
Good job, guys. Uh, they were at 59% right after January 6th. So 59% viewed them negatively. They're actually back up only at 56% negatively now. Before, thir only 37% viewed the Republicans positively, and that's up to 40%. So they're on the, the rocket ship to the moon. However, with the uh, Democrats, they were at 48-48 in January of 21. They were, they were at, that's a high point for them. They were really excited about that and then have now dropped. They're now only at 43% approval, 55% disapproval. Uh, so that is, of course, going on. And I saw today for the first time, th there's this thing in polling called the uh, generic ballot where they're like, would you rather have Republicans or Democrats get elected? So it's not asking about specific candidates or anything really specific. It's just generically asking, like, what's your vibe right now? Who would you rather have? And that's the type of thing that, usually indicates what's going to happen in a midterm election for the first time. Now Republicans are ahead on the generic ballot. That's a big deal, especially this early. Uh, not normal, uh, but it is happening right now. Um, as this is all going on, we've talked to you about all these big scandals and big issues in the Biden administration since the beginning. But there's always this thing that we've been doing for all the years. You've probably watched this show back to Wonderful World of Stew, back to the radio show, Glenn TV, all of those things where Glenn always says, watch the other hand. So what's going on right now when all this stuff we're talking about? What's going on in the background? Let me give you a couple interesting things. First of all, Biden is resettling fewer refugees than Trump, a record low, which I mean, I don't know that there's going to be huge complaints from Republicans right now on that as they, you know, they go back and forth on this particular issue. But I will say it's kind of surprising that we haven't heard more about that. We heard, all, you know, Trump was the devil for not wanting to resettle uh, refugees. Biden's ref re resettling fewer refugees. Same thing happening with judges. We remember Donald Trump is appointing all these judges. He's taking over the judiciary. This one shocked me, honestly, um, right now. If you go back and look at few pre past presidents, George H.W. Bush had, uh, uh, let's see, four confirmations at this point. Clinton had none. George W. Bush had three. Obama had none at this point in the presidency. Donald Trump had four. Joe Biden has nine. Nine confirmations already. He is confirming judges and throwing them in there at a faster pace than pretty much anybody, at least in recent memory. Watch the other hand. Pay it close attention because it's always it's always doing something. And the winner of the Person of the Year Award for the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan is Taliban Joe Biden. Yeah, congratulations. TalibanJoeMerch.com is the place to go to get your Taliban Joe merch. It's Taliban Joe Merch. Dot com. This comment comes in on a YouTube, which is one of the social media uh, platforms that was actually working yesterday, uh, talking to, about our interview with Sydney Watson yesterday. She says, Sydney, here's the problem. When someone says in the real world, they are actually saying in my world. This is much like my realization regarding insanity. Crazy people enjoy a reality that is just as real to them as your reality is to you. In short, we're dealing with crazy people. Uh, yeah, that does seem uh, just about right. Before we leave, important news. Important news. Now, you may be aware that Cinnabon has a line of uh, foods that go in your frozen aisle of the grocery stores. That's been around for a while. We also have Fridays and Boston Market who have put theirs in the frozen shelves. Wendy's has previously made flavors of Pringles 
uh, own, uh, with a spicy chicken sandwich Pringle and also a Baconator flavored Pringle. But Wendy's is stepping out into something new. This is coming soon. We need to put this on Stew Eats America for sure. That's right. Frosties are coming to your cereal aisle. It's true. A Wendy's Frosty Chocolatey Cereal will be part of your healthy breakfast, everybody. Coming very, very soon to a supermarket near you. Hopefully they have a doctor next door.